If you were here with us last Sunday, you know that we are in a Christmas series uh, based upon the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And what I want to do is I just want to share some, some fun little facts about the movie. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but just a couple of fun facts. Uh, the film, um, it was filmed in 1946 in, in Encino, California. It was during the summertime. And at one time, now, this is a Christmas movie, at one time it was so hot um, they literally had to stop filming because um, as you look through some of the scenes, you'll see Jimmy Stewart is sweating. They transformed four acres of land and they created 75 buildings uh, for the set. They put up, when you w watch the movie, they put up 20 full-grown um, acorn trees right in the middle. So when you watch them go down the middle of the, uh, the main street, they put those 20 trees in the middle of it uh, for the set. Um, the Sesame Street characters, uh, Bert and Ernie, were named after Bert the Cop and Ernie the cab driver. So I'm going to show you a picture here. And uh, so this is Donna Reed. In, in the movie, Donna Reed is with Jimmy Stewart, and they're at this old abandoned house. And Donna Reed has, has a wish. And so what she's going to do, she's going to make a wish. And then in order for her to maybe figure out whether she's going to get her wish or not, or whether her wish will be granted, she's going to pick up a rock and she's going to throw it, she's going to throw it at one of those windows. And her goal is to try and break one of the windows. Well, um, they weren't sure how accurate she would be in throwing a rock. So they had kind of a guy, a crew member off to the side, get ready to, uh, to break the window. Well, she picked up the rock, threw it, and she actually threw it and broke the window. So they did not need to use the crew member. That's how accurate she was. Here's another picture. Um, this is Uncle Billy. Now, if you know the movie, Uncle Billy's a little bit wacky right here. He's had a little bit too much Christmas cheer, right? And he's going to get ready to go off. He's going to go off to the, the side here. And when he walks off, there's a crew member to the side, and he actually drops all of this equipment. It makes a really, really loud noise. And Uncle Billy is off, uh, off scene, and he does this, I'm all right, I'm all right. He actually ad-libbed those two lines in the movie. The guy who dropped the equipment was actually given a $10 bonus because um, he enhanced the movie. That's how good it was. The main character is this guy, George Bailey. And why not? George Bailey is listed as number nine among American Film Institute's greatest heroes. He's listed number nine. Why would we not want to learn about uh, George Bailey? I mean, here's a guy who's decided that he was going to go see the world. He's going to go to college. He's going to see the world. He's going to go out. He's going to build skyscrapers. He's going to build cities. He's going to do all of these wonderful things, and yet he is never able to recognize the dreams and goals that he had. He's actually stuck in Bedford Falls, living out his existence at the building alone, something that he didn't want to do. And while everybody else is out doing what they want, and everybody else is out making a name for him, he's stuck in Bedford Falls because of something that's happened in his ear and has kept him there. And what I want to do is I want to show you this really brief clip um, about his role. Listen to his role, how he's described when the country goes to war and he's left home to take care of things. Then came a war. Ma Bailey and Mrs. Hatch joined the Red Cross in Seoul. Mary had two more babies, but still found time to run the USO. Sam Wainwright made a fortune in plastic hoods for planes. Potter became head of the draft board. 1A. 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 Gower and Uncle Billy sold war bonds. Bert the cop was wounded in North Africa, got the Silver Star. 
Only the taxi driver parachuted into France. Marty helped capture the Remagen Bridge. Harry, Harry Bailey topped them all. A Navy flyer, he shot down 15 planes, two of them as they were about to crash into a transport full of soldiers. Yes, but George. George? For F on account of his ear, George fought the Battle of Bedford Falls. Hold on, hold on, hold on now. Don't you know there's a war on? Air Raid Warden. Paper drives, scrap drives, rubber drives. Like everybody else, on V-Day he wept and prayed. On VJ Day, he wept and prayed again. See how he's kind of put the background there? Sam Rain, Wainwright is front. Friend makes a lot of money in plastics. Um, all of his friends who go off to war are war heroes. It's interesting that it's, even his wife says that she was head of the USO, taking care of other things, and he's kind of living in the background. And that's the way that he kind of lived his life, living in the background, the shadow of all of his friends and family members. Until life came to a, a sudden screeching halt, if you will, when his Uncle Billy, the guy I showed you, lost $8,000. Now, Uncle Billy couldn't figure out how, to, how he lost the money. He was a forgetful kind of guy, but he lost $8,000. And, and a George realized his life is basically over with. I mean, he knew that he was going to be held accountable, the scandal. Um, they were going to come after him. They were probably going to throw him in jail, and he didn't know what to do. And so he decided that he doesn't know what to do, so he's just going to kind of run off, and he runs off to the edge of town to basically try and throw himself off of the bridge. And while he's doing this, the people behind the scenes, if you will, his family and friends, they're all praying, and, and, and God is up in heaven, and, and God hears his prayer. And, and is, George is on the edge of town, and he's getting ready to jump off. This angel shows up and speaks to, speaks to George. And what I want to do is I want to show you. Listen to how George, listen to how George describes his life to Clarence the angel. Hey, what's, what's with you? What did what, you say just a minute ago? Why do you want to save me? That's what I was sent down for. I'm your guardian angel. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money. $8,000. Yeah, now, think, just things like that. How do you know that? I told you I'm your guardian angel. I know everything about you. Well, you look about like the kind of an angel I'd get. Sort of a fallen angel, aren't you? What happened to your wings? I haven't worn my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Uh, I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. One way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you. Oh, you? no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I keep forgetting it. Comes in pretty handy down here, Bob. Oh, tut, tut, tut. Uh, <laughs> I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. And my... Look, little fellow, why you go off and haunt somebody else? No, you? now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. 
You hear how George described his life? It wasn't just about losing $8,000. It's the way he viewed his life. He was in despair because he'd basically been a failure to his family, friends, to his community. Again, it wasn't just because Uncle Billy had lost and misplaced $8,000 and his life was in a mess. He had basically despaired of his life and didn't know what. Thinking to himself, I would have really been better off. It would have been better off if I never would have been. I wonder how many people think that way. It would have been my better off, my family and friends. And in the movie, what God does is God sends silly angel by the name of Clarence to save him. But God is the person of Jesus in order to save us from despair, save us through the heartache, the brokenness. God sends Jesus to come so that we might be saved and experience life in a totally different way. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1, the verses that Gary read. And what I want to do this morning is this. I want to look at a message that, that, that Paul has to Timothy. Now, Paul's writing to as a young disciple in the faith, Timothy, and Timothy at times is very, very, very timid. And we have a, a wonderful message that I believe we can embrace at this particular point in time. So um, let me just read the words. Uh, Gary read them, but let me read them again. It's just a couple of verses. Uh, Here are the word of the Lord. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Father, I I thank you for the message of Jesus. I thank you that he came to save us from our sin. Father, I pray that in the time remaining that you would just open our minds and our hearts to the reality of who you are and what we've come to do in and through us, Lord. Uh, Father, I thank you for the great privilege you have of gathering here this morning and to, to celebrate your goodness, to celebrate your word, to celebrate with family, to celebrate with friends. And Father, I, I would believe that almost every one of us' lives have been transformed by the gospel of, of Jesus. And Father, we want to honor you this morning, and we want to worship you, and we want to be reminded of who you are and what you've done. So Father, we ask that you open our minds and hearts and ears to the reality of who you are. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. So there's no doubt that these words are from the Apostle Paul to a a young friend, um, a a guy by the name of Timothy. And, you know, Paul understood his life. He understood that on the road of Damascus, his life had radically been changed. And so he gave his life to to serving other people. He gave his life for the the gospel ministry. So everywhere he went, it didn't matter what he did, that he was going to represent Jesus Christ. And uh, we have a, a letter here that's absolutely deeply personal to his, his young friend Timothy. He knows what he says. Two times he mentions, of, I, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. He's, he's reflecting back a little bit on his life. And what we know and recognize about Paul is, yeah, he, he probably was a pretty bad guy. When the Christian martyr Stephen, remember when he's standing around being, uh, being uh, uh, rocks thrown him and, and stoned to death? He's standing by holding the cloaks of all the people. He's got these letters from the religious leaders to go from city to city so that he can persecute all of these people. And so he recognizes deep down inside of us, he's, he's just the worst of sinners. But what Paul chooses to focus on here is not how bad he was, but on how much Christ has transformed his life. And that's what we see in verse 15. We have this message, if you will. We have this message from Paul to Timothy about how his life had radically been transformed. Look at verse 15. It's a message we can trust. He says this, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In our movie, in the movie, um, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey faced day after day, time after time, 
periods of disappointment in his life. As you saw, he basically saw his life as one giant failure. The last night he was in town, um, his father passed away, suddenly passed away. And rather than being able to leave town and go to Europe and then go to college and do all of these things, he was stuck at the Building and Loan Association. Didn't want to go, but he was stuck there and had to, had to, to stay and work. And his brother, his younger brother, um, was getting ready to go to college. And so rather than George going off and going to Europe and then going to college, he gave all of his money to his younger brother, Harry, with the idea that Harry's going to go and for four years he's going to work, he's going to go to college, then he's going to come back. Harry's going to come back. He's going to come back to the building alone. He's going to work. And then George is going to go off to school. And Harry tells his brother, listen, I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to come back. And he did. Four years later, he came back. But he came back with a wife. And he came back with a promise of a job out of, the, out of the city in another place. So here is George. Once again, he's let down all of the things that he's counted, all the things that he wants to do. He's let down once again by the de decisions that his brother had made. What we have in verse 15 is a reminder that Paul is telling Timothy that we have a message that we can absolutely trust, if you will. It is trustworthy. When Paul uses the, the phrase, a trustworthy saying, normally he uses it in the sense of, well, here's a quotation that I think is really important for you to know. Or here's a spiritual truth you need to know. Or, or here's a, a foundational truth. Paul uses that phrase, a uh, trustworthy statement, five times to remind us there are times in life that he wanted to impart to his young friend Timothy spiritual truth that would absolutely radically change his life. Paul was saying to Timothy, listen, I, I, I want to affirm to you there's key points of Scripture. We've been passing down what we know about who Jesus is and what he is. We've been passing them down orally. And now what I want to do is I want to write these things down. And they're really, really important for you to embrace and for you to hang on to because they'll transform your life. They'll transform who you are on the inside. And so notice what he says. It's trustworthy. It's true. And you need to give your full attention to this because it will radically change your life. Paul wanted Timothy to embrace the truth that had been given to him because he didn't want them to shipwreck their lives. If you go back and look at chapter 1, verse 6, and you go back at chapter 1, verse 19, some people in the faith had wandered away from the faith. Some people had shipwrecked their faith. So Paul was writing these important, important words to Timothy. Listen, I don't want people to walk away from the foundation for the message of Jesus because if they do, they will shipwreck their faith. If they do, they will walk away. They will bring disrepair to their life. So what Paul is writing to Timothy is absolutely important on one level because it's a message of truth. But I think it's important on a different level. It's this. What Paul knew and understood that he was writing truth to Timothy that would radically change his life about the nature and the character of God and who he is. The way that God wants to interact with us. The way that God wants to deal with us. The way that God loves us and the way that God cares. Psalm 33 verse 4 says this. And Paul would know this. Paul would understand this. He says this, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. And that's what Paul wants to communicate to Timothy. God is absolutely faithful in all that he does. And you could trust him in the midst of your despair, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of challenges of life. If you feel hopeless, if you feel helpless, what you can do, what we can do is we can trust the word of God and who he is, and the message that God would have to us in the word of God given to us. So Paul tells Timothy, we have a message that can be trusted. But notice what else he communicates, verse 15. We have a message that can save us, a message that can save us. Paul writes, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. As we look at this verse, we are reminded of a reality of Christmas time. And it's this, there is an ugliness 
to Christmas. There is an absolute ugliness to the time. There's this thing called sin. Paul calls these things called sinners. He calls people sinners. He calls himself a sinner. In other words, what he is referring to us and reminding us is that there's a brokenness in our relationship with God. Sin breaks God's violation, God's righteous standard, if you will, in a, in a very, very basic way. What's interesting is this, that even in Hollywood, even in Hollywood, they have a, a standard, if you will. In 1946, Capra wrote this, the, uh, the script for this. And in 1946, he submitted the movie script to the Motion Picture Association of America. And they had a standard to which they had to follow. And he had a standard to which to follow. And in 1946, they were pretty stern about the things they could and couldn't do in a movie script. So Capra submitted the movie to them. And when he got the script back, this is the standard that they had. And these are the things that they wanted him to change. Are you ready? You cannot use the word jerk, dang, impotent, lousy, and you've got to remove the phrase nuts to you. 1946, that's 70 years ago. They were pretty strong. He had to remove those. Why? Because the motion picture industry had a standard which they had to follow. The other thing that's really interesting about this is this, that when you write a script, criminals needed to be punished. If the criminal does something wrong, they needed to be punished in the movie. Well, what happened? Capra got around that by allowing Mr. Potter who somehow, someway, snuck off and stole $8,000 to never be punished. He kind of worked around. The... What's interesting is this. The capper received more mail about the fact that Mr. Potter did not receive what we should have been given to him, that he got away with stealing $8,000. He received more mail for that part of the movie than any other part of the movie. Why do you think that is? Because justice demands that. Bad guys need punished. It bothered people that Potter was not punished. Bad guys need to be punished. And what we do is we recognize in our time, we recognize in the movie, there's this darkness to our lives. There's this darkness, if you will, to the Christmas story, if you will. Here's a screenshot of George, and it's a really, really interesting point of the movie. What was the source of George's problem in the movie? Well, he was missing $8,000. Potter had somehow deceitfully got a hold of this $8,000 and he wasn't given it back. And what Clarence, if you know the movie, what Clarence revealed to George was this. This is much more bigger than a matter of $8,000. What Clarence revealed to George is this. Without the presence of light, without the presence of George in the city, in Bedford Falls, without his presence to shield people from the darkness of Henry Potter, if you will, there was this darkness that's going to lay over the land. And that, that's exactly what happened in the town of Bedford Falls. There was this darkness to life. The city of Bedford Falls became this dark and dingy place. Remember, this is 1946. It's almost described in a Las Vegas kind of way. Showgirls drinking, gambling, all of that kind of stuff. One of the bartenders says this. He says, we serve hard liquor for those who want to get drunk fast. Why is that line in there? Because we want to get rid of life and we want to think through life in an entirely different way. And what we want to do is we want to realize that we can mask the pain and suffering, the darkness of this world by what? By consuming alcohol and forgetting the, the, the trials and tribulations of life. That we can do all of these evil things and somehow think that we're going to find fulfillment in life through all of that. 
Listen, there's a darkness to Christmas. We all know it. Almost every Christmas movie has a villain in it, right? Almost every Christmas. We sing a song called Oh Holy Night, one of my favorite songs. Listen to the line. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Isn't that interesting? Long lay the world in sin and error pining. What, what, what Paul, the Apostle Paul, and what this song simply reminds us of is there's a darkness. There's a darkness. Oh, there's a lot of light. It's a lot of wonderful light. Let me look at this. It's not beautiful. Absolutely. It looks absolutely beautiful. What's interesting about the sanctuary is this, that you don't know about. If you know anything about the movie, you know, the main street has a, a, aligned with all of these acorn trees, if you will, those 20 acorn trees, and they're lined with lights. And, and we kind of have a picture of walking down the middle of main street in our sanctuary. Why? Because we have all of these wonderful lights to remind us there's a lot of light at Christmas. There's a lot of beauty at Christmas. There's a lot of wonderful things. But there's also a sense of darkness at Christmas time. Darkness of our souls. It's a reminder that some of you are facing a Christmas without a loved one. After the death of a loved one. Some of you, you are reminded that this is the second year of the loss of that love. Or the third year of the loss of loved one. Or the fourth year. Of the, it, it just continues on. There is a darkness to Christmas. There's a darkness of despair. There's a broken relationship that you wish you didn't have. There's a broken something, personal issue in your life. Maybe you're, you're struggling with something deep and personal in your life. Uh, maybe you're looking back over the year, 2022, you're looking back over the year and you're looking back, and going, you know, nothing's really changed in my life. I'm just the same that I am right here. Nothing's really changed. Look back. There's a darkness because of the presence of sin, the presence of separation from God. There's this darkness. And what we need to understand is, you know, a lot of times you think, well, you know, God is just this cosmic killjoy. And he just doesn't want us to have fun in life. He's just up there. And whenever we do something wrong, he's just going to push his button and, and, and something bad's going to happen to us. But I think what we forget when we look at the darkness of sin, the darkness of this world, is we forget the destructive nature of sin. Let me just give you a couple of verses. Psalm 38 verse 4 says this. Sin is actually a burden. Do you ever feel like sin being a burden in your life, there's this heaviness, there's this weight upon your life. That's, that's the way that the, the Bible describes sin. There's this burden. Of, that's what Paul's saying, listen, I'm the worst of sinners. There's this burden in his life that he wants lifted. Jeremiah 2, verse 22, sin is like this stain of guilt. Have you ever done something wrong? Have you ever done something so wrong that no one else knows about what you've done wrong and they're just like this giant stain in your heart or stain in your mind. That, that's the presence. That's that stain of guilt, if you will. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3, talks about uh, the, the dirty clothes that we have, that sin being this part of dirty clothes, and we feel like we're, we're just dirty because of some of the things that we've done. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, likens sin to this, to, to uh, the temptation to sin is this crouching lion. You know, we're tempted to sin, and every day we go about life, and every day we go about our, our existence, and we feel like we're always being tempted to sin, to violate God's righteous standard, if you will. Just like this lion waiting to, to pounce on us. See, when the Bible talks about the destructive nature of sin, it's talking about how it weighs upon our heart, minds, and souls. The town of Bedford Falls became Pottersville because of the weightiness of Potter in his life and the way that he lives. His influence over the town, over the city, over the people, his power over all of these people exhibited itself in such a way that they became dark and dingy people with no love for one another at all. In the midst of that, God 
steps in. And here's the beauty of God steps in to deal with the issue of sin. That's what he says in verse 15. Eight wonderful Greek words that say this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is a a summary of the gospel message. That Jesus left the wonder, the glory, the perfection of heaven to come to earth, to live among us. The helpless babe to live among us. To live, do all of these wonderful miracles. Ultimately pointing to the fact that he would go to the cross and he would offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. So that we might be able to live a transformed life. That we might feel the presence of Christ in our life. That we might experience the grace of God in life and be transformed people. That's what Paul was talking about. Chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, the grace, remember he's talking about him being the worst of sinners. He says this in verse 14 of chapter 1, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, despite the fact that I feel like I'm the worst of sinners, despite the fact that all that I've done, God's grace was poured out for me and my life has radically been transformed on the inside because of who Jesus is. I would imagine that's not the first time that the people heard that message from Paul to Timothy. There's no doubt in my mind the stories of Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind that the examples of Jesus, the truth of Jesus is going about. And, and no doubt the, the story of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, was probably resident in their lives. They probably knew what was going on. As you will call in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, I, I need to go through Jericho and I need to go see this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. I, I need to go to your house, Zacchaeus. And that's what he did. Nobody wants to be a friend of Zacchaeus. He's a hated tax collector. He's a sinner. No one wants to be around him. No one wants to associate with him. But, but Jesus will. Jesus says, I need to go to your house today. So he goes to his house and he responds. And what's interesting, we don't have any idea what Jesus spoke. We don't have any idea the words that he said. All we know is what Zacchaeus saw and heard about Jesus. There was something about what he said. There was something about what he heard. There's something that resonated so deep inside of his heart, so deep inside of his soul, that he says, I'm going to change. If I have defrauded people, I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to give back. I'm going to be radically, radically different. I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And I'm going to pay back four times as much to people who I've defrauded. What is that? That's a recognition of a sin. That's a recognition of the holiness and the perfection of God and, and a recognition that I need to get myself right with who Jesus is and what he's done for his life. For Zacchaeus, whatever he heard from Jesus, it was a message worth listening. It was a message so ingrained in his heart, in his mind, in his soul, that he would repent of his sin and change. And here's the message from Zacchaeus. It's this. The issues that controlled his life Money, possession, power, all of that. He basically laid at the feet of Jesus. He said, I'm I'm giving all of that to you. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change. I'm going to be transformed on the inside. And that was the radical change that happened. And Jesus addressed that. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, notice what he says about Zacchaeus. Today's salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek Jesus to save us. Clarence, came into the world, came into the world to save our sin, if you will. The, uh, the words to, oh, holy night, let me just continue on with that phrase, long leave the world and sin and error pining till he appeared. And know what the next line is? Till the soul felt its worth. Let me ask you something. The worth of your soul for Jesus, for who he is, and the worth that he would go to the cross and offer himself, 
Do you feel that on the inside? A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. In the unique person of Jesus and who he is, in him coming to earth to live among us, to tabernacle among us, and then to go to offer himself as a payment, as a sacrifice for sin on the cross, radically transforms our life from people from despair to hope, from hopelessness to looking to him in the fact that no matter where I may find myself today, he can change me on the inside and he can save me. John 3 verse 17 reminds us of the purpose for Jesus coming. Notice what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't that a message of hope? Isn't that a message of transfer? That no matter where you would find, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful in life, no matter what you're going through, that, that he hears, listens, and will respond. So there's a, a scene in the movie where Clarence comes to George. And remember what he says, I, I've come to save you. I've come to save you. And then you see George, he's on the bridge, and he doesn't know what to do. He's $8,000 in debt. He has nowhere to go. He has no help. And so he stops and he prays. And this is what he says. Dear Father in heaven, show me the way. When to George, he called out to God to, to save him and to show him the way. What's interesting is this, that Jimmy Stewart is the man who played George. And years later, they asked him about that scene. And I want to tell you what he said about that particular Listen to his words. He says, as I said those words, I felt the loneliness and the hopelessness of people who had nowhere to turn, and my eyes filled with tears. I broke down sobbing. This was not planned at all, but the power of that prayer. The realization that our Father in heaven is there to help the hopeless have reduced me to tears. He's filming a movie. He's responding to helplessness. He's responding to the helplessness and the hopelessness of where George finds himself. And he comes to the conclusion that, yes, there is a God up in heaven, and he knows exactly what's going on in our life, and he's come to save us. That is the gospel message. That's the message that Paul is trying to remind Timothy. They have come to change your life, to transform you on the inside and to save you from the ugliness of this world and to save you from the ugliness of life. So we have this message from God that can be true. We have this wonderful message of the gospel that saves us, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is this, that God would display his grace. Look at verse 16. He says this, but for the very reason I was saved I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What Paul is saying, listen, the reason that Christ came into my life, the reason that Christ transformed me on the road to Damascus so that I might become an example of what God's grace actually looks like and another person. If God, by his grace, can save me, the worst of sinners, imagine what he can do in other people's lives as they give themselves to Jesus, as they repent of their sin, as they give over their control of their life to Jesus, and as they trust him. Notice this, God's unlimited patience. That's what God's doing. God is patient toward us who rebel against him. And God was incredibly patient. 
so that he might be an example, a display, if you will, of God's grace, God's mercy, and how God can transform a life. I want to show you one final scene, probably one of the most famous lines in the movie, and then I want to come back and add an application before we have. Here's the last scene. man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? You hear that? Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? That was the problem of Bedford Falls. Instead of Bailey Park, it became Pottersville. And without the presence of George in his life and the way that he lived, the town of Bedford Falls became a dark, dingy, hopeless place. Might I suggest to you a couple of applications for us this morning before we leave? Number one, of God in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the despair, the difficulty, the challenge. But don't be like some of the people and, and run. And don't be some of the, like some of the people who shipwreck their faith. And maybe you don't understand what God is doing. And maybe you don't understand where you're at in life. Trust him for who he is and what he's going to do with your life because he will hear your prayers and he will respond to you. I, I truly believe that. Second application is this. There's good theology in this. You matter. You're created in the very image of a holy, righteous, and perfect God. You bear the imago Dei, have absolute. That is one of the messages that Frank Capra wanted to get across, that every even though you may be struggling and maybe life isn't exactly the way it is, you have incredible value. God created you and I to honor and So we have a message that's trustworthy. You have absolute value. And the last thing I want to leave you with is this. God's going to use you. That's what Paul was. He says his unlimited grace and mercy was on display through the unique person of Paul. George told or Clarence told George, you just don't know all that you've done. Isn't that true? Isn't that true of your life? You have no idea all the good that you've done. George had no idea all the good that had done in life. He just simply did life. He just simply served people. He gave his life to serving other people, and he didn't create categories. He just did what he needed to do. Think about this. Clarence came to save George. Right? That's what I've, I've come to save him. How did Clarence save him? He didn't give him $8,000. He didn't even tell. By the way, um, that, that uh, wily guy by the name of Mr. Potter, he really he didn't tell him that. He didn't change the circumstances of his life. didn't change any of that. As a matter of fact, at the end of the movie, after all of this, George is running, and he confronts Potter. He says, yeah, I know. He's happy. I'm going to jail. Isn't that great? What changed for George? What saved him? The realization that he had made an impact in other people's lives. Now, we are not saved by our works. We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, by putting our ultimate faith and trust in him. But what God chooses to do is to use us as his children as a light in the midst of darkness. And you and I have no idea how our lives one last verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says this, In the same way, 
Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father. And Christmas time is a great opportunity for us to simply be aware and mindful of the people that might be in a difficult place in life. Maybe they're going going through a difficult time. Be aware of who they are, the things they're going through. And maybe be quick to try and come alongside and help them. Because if your life has been transformed by the gospel, you are, we are, an example of God's grace. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for the many things that people do in this room that nobody ever sees. Father, the, the loving of a neighbor, a simple act of kindness to a stranger. Maybe it's that stop alongside of the, of the road to help someone who's in need. Or, or maybe it's something more close, like a, a person at work. Father, we recognize the value that you've given to us. We recognize that you've transformed our lives. Father, we recognize that you have saved us. And Father, we ask that you would allow us to bring glory and honor to your name by simply serving other people. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name.